Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. I went back and looked at an article I wrote on September 14th, 2001, you know, three days after. The F-16s had finally stopped circling overhead here in New York City. There were people on my block holding candles, waving flags, and singing the national anthem as an SUV cruised by with the words, Nukem, soaped onto its rear window. My neighbors were craving normalcy. Even with the severity of the World Trade Center attacks so nearby, the ultimate goal was always normalcy. Despite the lingering fear, sorrow, doubt, and anger, we waited breathlessly for the authorities to assure us, don't worry, things were bad, but now we have got everything back to normal. How many people in late 2001 were asking, what is normal in America? For example, the New York Stock Exchange was shut down by the 9-11 attacks. Once things returned to normal, Wall Street went back to making decisions that wreak havoc upon the large majority of life across the globe. Meanwhile, the top 1% of Americans carried on owning wealth equal to the bottom 95%. Yes, I wrote that 10 years before Occupy Wall Street was a thing. Contemplating a return to normal in 2001 reminds me of something Charles Bukowski wrote. As we go on with our lives, we tend to forget that the jails and the hospitals and the madhouses and the graveyards are packed. Contemplating a return to normal in 2001 also reminds me of our plight here in 2022. I'm bearing witness to an increasingly impatient hunger for normalcy, with very few questions being asked about what it means for our country or our planet. Normal, for example, means that a child dies every 10 seconds from hunger. It means 150 to 200 plant or animal species go extinct every day. Normal means landmines and factory farming. It means gay bashing and child trafficking. It means strip malls. It means strip mining. Normal means at least 30 million Americans live without health insurance. Normal means New Hampshire license plates read, live free or die. It also means New Hampshire license plates are manufactured by prisoners. Normal means at least five American women per day are murdered by men. It means the victims knew their murderers in 92% of those cases. Normal means that one in 32 American adults is in prison, on parole, or on probation, yet we somehow live in the land of the free. It means we launch drones at wedding parties from hundreds of miles away, yet we somehow live in the home of the brave. Normal means depleted uranium and white phosphorus, veal crates and vivisection. It means every square mile of ocean is polluted by 46,000 pieces of floating plastic. It means pesticide, suicide, femicide, homicide, and genocide. All of it and so much more is normal. 
All of it is part of our vaunted way of life, the same way of life that has clear-cut 78% of the world's old-growth forests, the same way of life that has removed 93% of the large fish from the ocean. When will our way of life ever feel abnormal? When there's more plastic than fishes in the ocean, will we then view that as the new normal? And speaking of new normal, that's another wrinkle. I am clearly proclaiming here that we cannot go back to some mythical, fictional, good old days. However, just as urgently, we cannot let our desire for a new normal be hijacked by the powers that shouldn't be. They have a new normal in mind. They've manufactured almost all of the current crisis to make their new normal seem like a good idea. You know, cashless society, digital life, the metaverse, social credit system, virtual reality, microchips, scanners placed under our skin, the great reset, having nothing and being happy. These evil geniuses have made our lives so miserable and so divisive since March 2020, they're counting on us being desperate enough to see anything they come up with as better. And this is our task, my friends. We must reject the old normal. We must also reject the new normal being imposed upon us. And we must play a major role as architects of whatever new normal rises from the ashes of the crises all around us. The precarious state of things I just described is not some preordained theology or an unstoppable force of nature. We are in this mess thanks to human decisions. If different decisions had been made in the past, different outcomes would have likely occurred. If different decisions are made and different actions are taken right now, perhaps different outcomes can still transpire. I will be talking more and more about this on Postwoke, and I hope you'll join me. For now, I will be right back with my guest, Ann Gibbons, after this short break. And I'm back with Ann Gibbons. Ann, thanks for being here and welcome to Post Woke. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mickey. I really appreciate it. Um, now, before we get into our conversation, um, what would you like me and the audience to know about you? I would like people to know I'm a cartoonist and illustrator, and I love, absolutely love finding a, a simple, touching, possibly humorous, not necessarily way to connect with people, uh, that it's, I feel like there's a lot of power in visuals and particularly in cartoons for me. Um, and that I'm passionate about it and the way the world has been the last few years, I feel completely focused on wanting to express myself as a cartoonist, taking this nightmare on. Well, thank you, because you just gave me the perfect segue to ask you before you can weave into any of your answers, details about how you got started and your evolution okay. in this art. But but right now, what I'm curious to know is, is how has the pandemic changed your approach to art or has it changed your approach to art? Did, did it make it more political, less political, political in a different way? But basically, as we all we all seem to these days talk about, well, since March 2020, and then we go from there, um, since March 2020, how does Ann Gibbons approach her art differently than prior to that? 
Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll say as a, I've always, um, I, I, as a cartoonist, I've always done kind of social comment, not so much political. Um, I mean, it's, or how you define those is tricky, but I always feel like I had something I want to say about our lives, social comment on how we live. And um, I did that for decades and, and a, f a few years ago, like when I was doing this syndicated weekly cartoon, I started just getting tired of it. I didn't feel like I had anything that was that, I felt like anything that I wanted to say I had already said, and I was kind of, um, I didn't have a, a focus um, for, I thought, I, I, so I just kind of took a break for a while and thought I started getting into writing and painting and just kind of letting it be. And I thought at some point I might do something called Anne Can't Stand It, Hmm. And just about any everything and anything that really bothered me, and it could, and I, I thought sometime I might do that when I'm not worried about earning earning a earning a living, and uh, but I didn't know what that would be, and and right before COVID, I wasn't doing my work. I was doing this graphic recording, which is doing visuals at meetings and conferences, and. And I loved it. It was like another way to be creative because I was in that mode of I'm not sure what I want to say about anything. And then, co you know, this, you know, the 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 pandemic, like to me right away, I knew um, this is a coup. This is a Trojan horse. Um, mm -hmm. And I was I mean, I actually say at first I was dumbstruck. It took me a while to find my voice. I literally dumbstruck and horrified and furious. Like, and, likewise. And uh but I thought, okay, I, now I know what I'm going to do. I'm doing, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm going to do. I am going to use my talent to do something creatively that hopefully touches people. Um, and mostly doing it for me, for my own sanity, that I feel like I have something to say now. I know it. And I really, I mean, if I ever couldn't stand stand it this is it <laughs> <laughs> you had you had that placeholder there and can't stand it and they delivered they sure delivered exactly. they let wow. they put it on a silver platter right 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 wow or on a face mask more. <laughs> yeah exactly the the ultimate form of virtue signaling right so um i've seen you talk about and and do art about the concept of being um politically adrift and and not sure where you're aligned. So to, to preface that, um, should I assume that as you became more out about challenging the, the narrative that you um, did hit some resistance from perhaps people that you were more aligned with prior to the pandemic? Oh, oh I, I mean, this is the first shock for me about when this whole thing hit that I, I, I mean, I, I would have described my whole, you know, from college, you know, anti-war, anti-Vietnam war, becoming politicized and, you know, left defining myself on the left and never, and, and over the years, not really knowing what that meant and not being part of a group particularly like, but that was sort of my left, left is better. <laughs> left makes yeah. more sense. It interpreted the world for me in a way that made sense. And I, but that actually kind of wavered after 9-11 when I saw the left wasn't, most of the left wasn't really paying attention about that what was going what happened with 9/11 they 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 weren't the, I was like excuse me this we got to look into this no and so that kind of dis, I it kind of had a, a more I, it sort of 
changed my attitude toward the left. I was more skeptical, okay. but still. And then, um, but when this happened, I can't, even, even people who had been, who I knew who were into with me on 9-11 were uh, terrified, buying everything. I, it was an absolute, complete shock. And no, I've lost friends, can, can't talk to people. I don't know if we'll ever be friends again, but right now it's sort of, how can we even talk? And for me, when, you, when you're gonna have a connection with somebody and they don't wanna hear about what I'm doing. And it's like, it's not satisfying, especially with people who, other artists who are like, we used to talk about our work. And I can still listen about their work, but they don't want to hear about mine. So wow. it's kind of, it's like, wow, okay, this is a different world. And uh, it's all, it's just different. And I'm going with it. And I'm finding people in unexpected, where you're finding um, common ground with people I never expected to. And just feel like it's a whole new, a whole new territory. Um, and it's fascinating. It's horrifying, but it's also fascinating and incredible. Yeah, it's it's um, it reminds me of a, a line from a Mary Oliver play where she's uh, um, poem. I'm going to paraphrase to the max here, but it was she essentially says, "Pay attention and always be astounded." Right. And I and I feel that way where. I don't think it's contradictory to call this fascinating while also acknowledging that it's horrifying because what we're witnessing, and I can relate in many ways to your experiences, what we're witnessing is unprecedented. Post 9-11, there were some schisms and I... Um, had I, I was always challenging the left when I was writing for Counterpunch and ZNet, okay. but then I sort of re-embraced it when I got heavily involved in person with Occupy Wall Street, mm -hmm. there was this sense of face-to-face -face community and I really got seduced by it early mm -hmm. on. And even now, when I look back, it's astonishing to think about the events we did together just 10 years ago compared to, well, virtually all of them just don't pay attention to me anymore. They either deleted me or, mm -hmm. or blocked me. Right. And, and to, to watch them shilling for uh Pfizer and Moderna I it it's 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 frightening and it's astonishing and it takes a while to to regroup but I relate to what you're saying is that we are meeting people that we never would have met before right. Would, right like and I'm not sure where that's going to lead because there are some fundamental differences with many different right groups that I'm interacting with, but mm -hmm. I'm not really overanalyzing and I'm feeling like I just want to meet people who are standing up to the very obvious tyranny. Exactly. Exactly. It's just, a, it's, it's, um, that's, that's exactly it. And for me at the beginning, I was like, you know, I mean, I was ready. I was looking for a protest you know, <laughs> right away. It's like in the lockdown, I, when I heard there were a couple in Michigan and, uh, where was the other state that there were early on, there were protests and I was like, Oh, this is great. And then I heard, I was telling a friend and she's a very left activist friend. And she's like, those were Nazis. They were yeah. Nazis. I said, I was so shocked because you know, we, we right away, we were getting information from different places. And I, you know, one of the things that, that clued me in to this um, around that, before this, 
my husband and I had gotten more familiar with about vaccinations and the harm that they cause. We were we were kind of up to speed on vaccination as um, problematic, and for and, you know we had seen vaxed one and then vaxed two, mm-hmm. and I having gone and we went to several things actually right in November of 2019. There was something at Riverside Church. Uh, uh, about vaccines and Bobby Kennedy was gonna, was was there and a, several other speakers. And the place was packed. It was about 800, you know, that's a huge room that Riverside, I think it was oh, yeah. 800 people. It was packed and it was very mixed audience. Um, that This is the other part. I've seen the most mixed people at protests. It's hodgepodges of, uh, it's just a an eclectic bunch of people. Um, and that, that was, I saw that like, oh my God, this is a grassroots movement and the left doesn't even know about it. Like these are people who come from their own experience, have been injured. They were, they had like their t-shirts and all, they were so knowledgeable about vaccines. And, and at that time it was, um, we don't have kids and it's not, so it's and actually it would be for it, it, yeah the mo- the the real people that that kind of led this thing are their kids were injured by vaccines and they yes. you know didn't want they had religious exemptions and New York State took them away so it was kind of creating a crisis but and I would do yes I would support the you know I was on on um, the Autism Action Network has a great this John Gilmore has a great. Uh, uh, what do you, I don't know how you describe it, an email thing where it's easy to get in touch with your representatives. He has a, it's very simple. And I would do that, but when they were going to Albany, I thought, oh, I'm not going to go to Albany, but I will I will call. And then because I, it wasn't hitting me personally, as soon as this happened, and, and even people that I heard some of the speakers are like, you know, they're going to come for everybody. And it was like, really? I Wow. God, I hope not. You know, <laughs> and then, and then for this thing to happen with COVID and they were starting talking about vaccination from practically from day one. Now that, holy God, this is it. Yep. Oh my God. And, uh, and then I, you know, I have this, this friend that I, I said, I can't talk with you. Um, she, you know, maybe in August of when they were, that they you started being able to get vaccines and no, I wasn't going to do it. And she was like, can I ask what you're waiting for? It's like, <laughs> what the hell? I mean, the intrusion. Yeah, absolutely. The intrusion. I like it's all. It's completely. I, there's. They're just. I've seen these chasms in in communication. There are people. It's just not. You can't talk. There's for, talking is is fruitless. And I think a lot also intellectual. You know, like having knowledge. Facts don't seem to matter a damn. It, it just to say you know, look, but there's a history of vaccines or, you know, say like Bobby Kennedy didn't even want to get into the, you know, if you, the more, you know, he, t- he got into this issue kicking and screaming, he could yep. not ignore the science and the mothers kept hounding him. So it's like, but you'd say that people, they don't care. They're not listening. And it's like, oh, okay. So that was part of a thing for me that words don't seem to work. Maybe cartoons will, <laughs> you know, that maybe art, because I do think the power of art, you know, when you think of there could be somebody you have, you know, absolutely nothing in common with, but you can have common ground in a book you love, or, you know, you find something in the art 
that bridges people who would otherwise have nothing, nothing in common. And that, that I, that just maybe, you know, I'm not, I'm now not really trying to reach people in a broad way. I'm trying to reach people who are interested in hearing something, <laughs> you know, yeah. not, but you're, you're, you're creating content that, that is you're creating content that's really really easy to share too. Right. because as you said and i hate to say this as a lifetime writer um any article i write if someone shares it it's a leap of faith to imagine that if that other person has already established a belief in the narrative mm -hmm. that they're going to take the time to read 500 words right. but they will look at your cartoon because it's it's this one single panel mm -hmm. right in front of them right. would maybe maximum i mean on i've seen many of your cartoons the wordiest might be 20 words or something mm -hmm. like it's like so so i i do admire this approach because I I have encountered a lot of what you've encountered, right. and I do and I do go back. Um, I never used the term anti-vaxxer about myself, but I personally have been skeptical of them, and I can't remember exactly when I stopped. But I think it was high school that I just said, "I'm not now. I'm an adult. I don't, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't trust it." And I can remember maybe 20 years ago having a friend who was pregnant asking me about vaccines and I brought her mm -hmm. to a meeting of a group called vaccination alternatives mm -hmm. it was in a back room of a restaurant downtown called caravan of dreams mm -hmm. and so so like you I kind of was a fellow traveler in this but but I don't have kids either so I didn't have this vested interest in it but when when covid hit suddenly as as that as you as you said someone used the phrase they're going to come for all of us mm -hmm. this then it was it was stark right in right. my face and, right. and so I can feel it and I do this is partly even why I switched to podcasts I'm hoping maybe the spoken word can be right. more effective but I will say that your approach is 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 um is Definitely, it feels in this climate to be uh, to have a lot more potential to, well, to maybe rattle people's brains a bit. Well, you know, it's and it's not an either or because I mean, I like I'm devouring articles. It's overwhelming how much material there is out there to read, and because if you really want to know, you want you need to read. You know, I like a cartoon can only open the door, and and it might it might nail the truth, but if you really want to flesh it out, you have to read more than a cartoon. Sure. But I one of the things I hope by doing this is that writers will use this as to illustrate. You're if you're writing something and you know take my work and pop it in to grab someone's attention to read your article. You know, that's um, actually at some point I might try to do more illustration that um, that's kind of just more to not not particularly making a point, but an illustration of a, you know, a big a big vial or a big vaccine or oh. a mask or you know just things that you can pop in because i mean just when you look at any i mean it used to be magazines or but even online <clears throat> visuals pull you in visuals I agree. and and then you you know they open the door um so that was I, some of my hope that it'll just be take it and use it take it and run with it I'm glad you just said that because I'm going to do that now because right. I, I'm, you've seen my articles and mm -hmm. just for the sake of the audience, we met on Substack. You were kind enough right. to discover me first and subscribe. And I I try my best. I'm, I'm fully aware that I should never go more than a couple of paragraphs without inserting some kind of visual in there mm -hmm. to, so it doesn't just seem like this wall of text. And when I look at your stuff, 
I see the dovetail between what I'm writing and what you're drawing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to take you up on that offer. And of course, we'll link back to your Substack. And for the sake of the audience, I'll just say now that um, as I'm talking to Anne, don't forget to check the show notes. There will be links to her Substack and her, her website in there to learn more and to follow her. But I, I love that idea. But I want to just take a, a tiny, tiny detour before we come back to this, because I don't always get to talk to someone who's a, a fellow lifetime New Yorker. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to ask sort of a general question. You could take in any direction you want, but um, how much of being in this city your entire life, how much has it and how has it shaped your approach to art? Oh, wow. That's interesting. I think, um, Coming, I mean, I actually, I, I did two brief things, one in New Hampshire for like a year and a half and one in California in Long Beach. Hello? I'm here. Oh, okay. Actually, my screen just went um, went dark, but I thought, so I thought I might have lost you. Um, and those experiences were, I, I am a total, deeply native New Yorker and I need a city and there is no, no, nowhere like New York City. I think New York is, I think that's for me, the kind of art I do. You know, when I was in, in New Hampshire, it was like, I was getting into cartooning at that time. And it was like, there were no, the art that people did were watercolors, landscapes, just, you know, it was like, I, I'm all about people. And I think that's a lot coming from New York and the energy of New York, uh -huh. um, that there's, it's just, I, I don't know. To me, I, that's, I, I just feel like people. No, I, I now that you said that, I, I'm thinking, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of get that vibe where I, I, I can't articulate it in words, but I feel like once the listeners click on your links and check out your work, they'll, they'll just know it inherently like, oh yeah, this is a New Yorker because not to stereotype someone from New Hampshire, but there right. is something more, um, uh, what we what we would call in New York the country. That's like right. they live up in the country, yeah. right? Like like it just pretty much everything outside of New York is the country to us to some degree. But there is there is a certain vibe that a New York artist gives off, and you right. most certainly absolutely right. have and, it. And I, I have to say, I love art. I love more like imaginative art that people do. I'm I'm just kind of rooted in reality, and I'm also one of nine children. So wow. I, I like people, I, people are my beat. <laughs> um, it's kind of, that's, yeah, I just. So, um, so, your, so your family life prepared you for the, the crowds of New York City. That didn't throw you right, in for a loop at right, all. Right, wow, right. that's fascinating. Uh -huh. So, all right, so it's to, to segue back to some degree about what's going on in the world, I, if, if you, maybe you've had this opportunity, if you're speaking with someone um, of any age mm -hmm. who is, um, just take sticking their neck out and saying, I need to express myself. I need to, to paint, to draw, to sing, whatever it might be. What type of advice would you give them for pursuing an artistic life oh. in 2022 in particular? Like, oh. like talking about dealing with the, 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 the disinformation and the, the great reset and the, 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 the newish, the, the new ish factors that we're dealing with today shouldn't deter someone from being an artist, but it's, can you give any input as to like how to navigate that? I think it's the opposite. I like to me, it's now, uh, first, first of all, for me, the sanity, I like when I feel like, I mean, I, you know, there's really, I thought I'd freak out early on with all the isolation and the dis, you know, being alienated from friends. And I, I thought I'd lose my mind and mm. having the channel, 
having a way to transform my rage and, you know, really not fear, rage, horror, um, just trying, like, how do I, how do I, you know, this whole thing is so deep. I still, it still hits me that this is just so huge that it requires a deep response. And to me that the creative response is the most powerful. Like we have to create a new world. We, you know, it's um, picture possibilities. It's sort of, it's the whole thing is open. So now creativity is, is key. And, and actually I have a great quote. I don't know if you want me to read it, but I just read oh, it please do. yesterday. It's by Martha Graham about about being creative she was talking to a dancer and choreographer who was frustrated that the work her her lead what she thought was her least um least uh well done work was the commercially most successful and kind of you know just wondering about her talent and so martha Graham says to her there is a vitality a life force an energy a quickening that is translated through you into action and because there is only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep yourself open and aware to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. Wow, thank you for sharing. That is fantastic. I mean, I, I could do an entire podcast on that on that quote, but I love the, the use of the word quickening mm -hmm. because it felt to me, you tell me if you, how, you, how, it, how it resonated with you. It felt to me that there was this um, epiphany factor that art could that mm -hmm. there's, there's a gift that art gives people where they can recognize and understand something faster than any yes. le lecture or yes. anything like that right like music you, yes. you know some of the the people that are, are putting this into music or or the the com com comics you know the comedians it, yes there's something that it's taking it to it's 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 taking it i don't know to say a different level but it's touching people in a different way. Um, and I, that's like my favorite, I, I mean, I, I read all kinds of things, but my favorite people are like, like writers, writers like yours or Margaret Anna Alice. There, there's a creative aspect to it that, that really appeals. Somehow it, it, it I guess it feels like it opens doors. Um, well, thank you um, for that. Yeah. That that to me would be the, and I use this phrase quite purposefully. That's music to my ears. Where um, someone said to me recently that they found my articles, my Substack articles, extremely shareable. Where mm -hmm, it's right. it's like people could get the point quickly. Right. You know, if their mind is closed, their mind is closed. But right. um, and that's I that I just feel like mission accomplished. That's what I'm trying to do. Right. I, I love to write. I've been writing my entire life, mm -hmm. but. And like as you as you describe, when this happened, it was like you just shift into a different mission. You have mm -hmm. the you have you have yours, and I have mine in terms of right. how we express ourselves. But we just basically said, "All right, this is our time. Right. Like, I can't remain yes. silent on this because exactly, I, like you said, we're creating a new world. Exactly. And and as a cartoonist, it's like to me, if I like, 
I, to not address this would be, what the hell am I doing with my life? What, do, what in the world is the point of being an artist if I have nothing to say about this? I, you know, I, and, ha, and also I don't feel like there's a choice in that I feel the urgency. Um, I feel like, no, this is exactly what I need to do. And that's where I like this too, of just, I have to do it. Whether it touches other people, I don't know. I'm just put it out there, and I hope it does. But I need to do it for me. I need it. Um, it's it's just it's essential. Yeah, and and I hope that if anyone is listening that has been pondering, you know, how do I get started? Is this a good time? It's oh, it there there is no perfect time. If you have that, right. when you just said, if I need to do it, it's essential. Right. That that's basically your soul calling to you like just start right now right you know there's no exactly. better time than right now exactly. and and the circumstances under which we're living have created the exact thing that you said urgency right where where um we can't you know and to, to, like martha graham said we can't control how it's going to be received but we are going to keep putting the messages out there and fulfilling our personal mission right. to, to use our gifts the best way we can Right, right, exactly. And actually that when you said I, it took me a while to think, okay, how do I do this? What do I do? And actually having come from this syndicated feature that it was like I did it once a week um, for that it was I, I, ha, I know the drill of get something out once a week. And, um, and sometimes here, if I don't have something for I, I'll skip a week because the idea isn't, I don't want to put some out, something out just to fill. Mm -hmm. but um but mostly how to do it where to do it all of that was really a pain in the neck and i thought okay i'll just start start doing something and i found someone to help you know do the technical part of, of a wordpress a website simple website i don't need a lot on it it was really a lot i have to say um anybody who's thinking of doing something it was a lot to get started because it's it's just again as I said I feel like this is really deep, it's unprecedented. It's hard to get a handle on it. it took me forever to what do I want to say to people and kept I wrote the wrote my little bio over and over and over. What 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 am I doing? And I really thought this is we're in a loony bin. I'm not crazy. You're treating me like cra crazy. No, the world has gone nuts. And I, this I is, concur. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I already have that bio that of yours where you use the word loony bin to be to be put in the show notes so people could check good, that out good, right no I, I I completely feel you on that so um now before we wrap up um I'm, I'm assuming you've been interviewed before and you've obviously you 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 clearly a thinker and articulate mm -hmm. you've obviously given all this a lot of thought but in the years you've been doing what you do in particular the last couple of years is there a question you um wished an interviewer would have asked you that they haven't asked you is there something that you feel like oh, I, I would wish i had a chance to say something about this hmm. um i don't know that I, that i'll be able to have something come to mind but to actually this is i haven't been interviewed about my work my and can't stand it this is my first interview oh. i've oh, done interviews in the past about cartooning and um, other, you know, cartooning or greeting cards or whatever, you know, way back or, um, but this is, so this is that, I mean, that when you invited me, I left, I thought, yes, yes, I want to <laughs> talk about this. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad I did. I mean, I've yeah. really enjoyed this. Well, let's, let's, let's say this. If we 
do a follow-up interview somewhere in the future after you've been interviewed more times mm -hmm. related to and can't stand it then that question would be a lot more relevant right. because i do find i've been interviewed in my life and i do i do i enjoy the process in general particularly mm -hmm. if the person has done a little bit of homework as to what right. i do right. but um it, inevitably your imagination of what you want to say and what you're going to be asked can't possibly match up with everyone else's. So, right. so I, I do sometimes like to ask my interview guests to say, Hey, is there something you want me to ask you right oh, now? Right. Because it's not just, I, I'm not the dictator here. I'm, I'm trying to be a conduit by which people can learn and, and hear and, and get to know who you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, good. I'll, I'll put it in the hopper. Absolutely. So, Anne, I, I just want to say thank you so much for making time to do this and for doing what you do, for, oh, for using you. your using your gifts to 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 kind of kick people in the butt a little bit and get them right. get them thinking and shake things up. Right. I I will put your Substack and your your website in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd want the audience to know about getting in touch with you or getting familiar with what you do? Uh, they can get in touch with me through either um, Substack or my website. And that would be great. I'm, uh, I, I mean, actually, it's Anne can't, you can reach me, Anne at AnneCanStandIt.com. Okay, fantastic. So thank you very much. Okay. Please keep doing what you're doing. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. It has been great. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. I'll be right back with my story of the week right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here asking you to become a paid subscriber to Postwoke. This is my Substack where I produce daily content, uh, articles, posts, and podcasts. And some of it is exclusively for paid subscribers. And also paid subscribers are the ones who are able to comment on such posts. So for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day, you get access to all of this. And you also are offering essential support for a project that I want to keep going and growing. So I thank you in advance for that. In the meantime, please feel free to peruse the show notes to find a link for the project that I've been running for nearly six years, a one-man mission to help homeless women on the streets of New York City. Also in the show notes, you will find a link to purchase a really cool post-woke t-shirt to let the world know what your favorite podcast is. And one more thing in the show notes is a link to my NFT photography collection in case you're interested in purchasing a non-fungible token. So I thank you for your time and for checking out all those links. And please, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. It makes a huge difference. I thank you in advance and let's get back to the show. I'll call this story that time I gave a lecture at Yale University. In America, the concepts of work and career infiltrate just about every aspect of our lives, often to our detriment. Consider the most common question we're asked from the time we're old enough to understand it. What are you going to be when you grow up? The assumption of this inevitable question, of course, is that the child being quizzed isn't exactly something yet. Thus, the expected answers fall within the range of some things like cop, fireman, ballerina, president, doctor, astronaut, princess, etc. It would be jolting if a seven-year-old were, were to reply with something like cafeteria worker, actuary, or manager at Staples. 
it would be almost as jolting if a career counselor at a, an Ivy League school were to hear a student say something like, I don't want to work in finance, law, advertising, or anything corporate. I want to be an artist and activist. This scenario was the premise for my second book way back in 2002 and for Yale University inviting me to speak there in 2003. In my book, The Murdering of My Years, Artists and Activists Making Ends Meet, I interviewed a diverse group of fringe characters about how they balance their personal vision with the demands of a capitalist culture. Somehow, the book ended up in the hands of a woman who ran the career counseling department at Yale. It seems they had a huge convention coming up at which career counselors from all the Ivy League schools would gather. This group knew their field well, with one admitted blind spot. They didn't know how to handle young folks who were not following the expected path of a student at an elite university. And that's where yours truly came in. I would be paid to serve as keynote speaker in the name of connecting the suites with the streets. I began that lecture like this. Today is the 102nd birthday of Werner Heisenberg, the German physicist who won the Nobel Prize in 1932 for discovering the uncertainty principle. Simply stated, good old Werner found it is physically impossible to measure both the exact position and the exact momentum of a particle at the same time. In other words, the more precisely one of the quantities is measured, the less precisely the other is known. Replace the word particle with the word student, and Mr. Heisenberg just may have summed up the life of a career counselor. Now, having clarified that they were in for something dif different, I introduced to the counselors the what do you want to be when you grow up contemplation. The schoolboy version of me, if he had could have seen the future, might have answered that question like, I'll deliver the Long Island Press, stock shelves at Gimbel's, wash cars at Thrifty Rent-A-Car, manage a video store, pick up garbage at LaGuardia Airport, proofread self-published books, and work with dumbbells and gyms all across the metropolitan area. Paradoxically, I also and accurately could have said that I would appear in martial arts movies and be on the cover of a karate magazine and would be quoted in the New York Times, sing in a rock band, manage a heavy metal band, have 12 books published, start a podcast, and armed with only a high school diploma would give talks in front of thousands of people, including at Yale University. There is no template, I told them, no formula for carving out an artistic and or activist career in a society such as ours. We live in a free country, but that doesn't mean it's easy to break free of the cookie cutter formula. What feels like freedom is often nothing more than longer chains and bigger cages. What passes for rebellion is usually co-opted, sanitized, and sold back to us as a trend or commodity. The first line of defense against this system of oppression is our own minds. In a spoken word poem called My IQ, Ani DeFranco begins, When I was four years old, they tried to test my IQ. They showed me a picture of three oranges and a pear. They said, which one is different? It does not belong. They taught me different is wrong. I reminded those Ivy League counselors that it is artists and activists who prove otherwise. Different is not wrong. Different is essential. 
and it is artists and activists who can help challenge the American dream myth, the fable of individualized success. If you work hard enough and fight your way past the competition, this is the land of opportunity. Anything is possible. If you succeed, it's because you worked harder and better and deserved it more than the others. This myth is superficially helpful for praising success, but quite damaging in explaining failure. If you fail, the blame is all on you. I say it's long overdue that we do away with this divisive concept of the American dream. Let's cultivate new, more realistic American dreams, plural. Dreams not for sale to the highest bidder. Dreams not based on material consumption or physical beauty. Dreams that promote and extol unity and collective success while maintaining our individuality and independence. Dreams that challenge humans to think for themselves and about others. Helen Keller once declared, many persons have a wrong idea of what constitutes true happiness. It is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. In that spirit, I closed my Yale University talk with a challenge to my audience. Here's to all of you whose worthy purpose it is to help others find theirs. If I gave that talk today, I'd add in a suggestion that those counselors advise their students to keep their guard up.